Good morning, everybody. Hope that y'all are doing well. Thank you. Um, my name is Wes. I am one of the associate pastors here at First Christian, and I am glad that you are here this morning. Glad that you uh, get to be a part and, uh, of what Jesus is doing here. Uh, glad that we got to spend a portion of that singing songs about how great he is. Uh, this next portion, we're going to look into the Bible and see what he has to say, see how he can change our lives, see how he can make us more like his son. Our uh, last week, uh, we had Tommy Staggs preach, our other associate pastor, and then uh, two weeks ago, Scott Wakefield started this. Our lead pastor, Scott, is on vacation, uh, actually checking out a couple other um, people that are doing multi-site this morning, because as we are hoping to launch multi-site soon in the future, just getting ideas about that. So uh, I am excited, though, that I get to be here this morning and share with you. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if, uh, if you noticed it this morning as I walk up. Some of you are super observant. You, you, you noticed it right away and had a little chuckle. But um, it's interesting that you ever have one of those days where um, you walk into work and uh, one of your coworkers comes in, and they are dressed almost exactly the same way you are. Uh, if you didn't notice, Chris Carlson, our music uh, minister, was up here with his blue jeans and white t-shirt, his white button-up shirt on today. And so we looked very similar. Um, Tommy uh, joked about us this morning. So said we're ready to do our, our beach pictures. You see everybody with their their beach pictures with their white shirts on on the beach. And if I had more time, I would have. Uh, I would have uh, done that uh, on Photoshop and had us on the beach. That would have been funny. Um, it's kind of interesting, though, that um, I noticed that this morning some people came up after the first service. I'm noticing it today. Man, white T-shirts are in. I see a couple other white T-shirts. And y'all come up afterwards, and we'll do a beach photo together, and, and it'll, be, it'll be good. Um, so, but I am, I'm glad that, that to be here with y'all today. Before we begin, before we go in to, to God's Word, you probably might need a Bible. Uh, if you need a Bible, there is Bible concessions actually coming through the aisles, like a hot dog vendor at a baseball game. Uh, if you need one, just raise your hand. We'd be happy to get a Bible. They also have bulletins if you didn't get one of those on your way in this morning. And they also have study guides that go along with our sermon. Uh, we have life groups that meet during the week, and they use these study guides and study questions to help them through their life groups uh, to dis- further dissect the sermon and to see what God has in store. So if you need one, raise your hand. They'll be happy to get you a Bible. Um, in fact, if you don't have a Bible, like if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, feel free to take that one with you. Write your name in it. It is yours. Uh, we have seven habits that govern our mission here as a church. Our mission is to help people find and follow uh, Jesus. One of those habits is to pray and study the Bible. And so we would love to give you a Bible if you don't have one to help you further that habit of praying and studying the Bible. So take that. It's yours. Um, we're going to be uh, in Romans chapter 2 today. Uh, the scripture will be up on the screen. So if you want to see it on the screen, you can. But if you want to follow along in your own Bible, uh, go ahead and flip to Romans chapter 2. We'll be there in a minute. Before we get there, I wanted to update you on a couple of summer happenings for our kids ministry and also our youth ministry this summer, just to let you know some things that are going on. Uh, if you wasn't here last week or maybe you heard it wrong last week, uh, Tommy did announce last week that we have decided uh, that we are not going to do vacation Bible school this summer. Um, I know that uh, disappoints a lot of people um, uh, and a lot of kids and stuff like that. But we just felt like as we were getting closer to it and, and trying to pull it off, you know that we're in a, a, a season of transition here at our church. We do not have a full-time kids minister right now. Uh, pray for us. We're hoping that we'll, we'll soon... Uh, 
that will uh, we'll have one sooner than later. But uh, we just felt like as we were looking that we just couldn't, we could probably do one, but it wouldn't be as well as, as should be done. And so we really wanted to do something that was done well and well for our kids. So we decided not to do one after uh, much discussion uh, this summer. We've been praying about and looking about, you know, what does our kids' summers look like and, and what is it going to look like in the future? Uh, we came across this new ministry and we showed a video last week called Camp in the City. Um, this is something that our friends at Grace Fellowship in Johnson City are doing. Uh, they're actually doing it this week. And it's something that we're interested that may, we may want to do next summer and maybe something that replaces VBS because it looks like it's just a lot of fun. Um, we're actually going to go, uh, if, if, plans hold true. We're going to go this Friday to Grace Fellowship and, and view Camp in the City uh, to see what it's like, to see what it's, if it's something worthwhile that we're doing. Uh, I did want to show you a video this morning so you can see for yourself what Camp in the City looks like. So let's watch this video. check it out for ourselves to see what it looks like in real life. Uh, it's a place that rolls into your town with all of that. The climbing wall, the inflatables, they bring it all, set it up, and do a camp atmosphere for kids. So uh, we're looking at that, maybe doing that next summer. Uh, if you are interested and want to be a part of that decision team that uh, makes the decision about whether we do it or not, um, you're welcome to come with us this Friday to Grace Fellowship. Just let me know or uh, one of the people in the lanyards today know, and uh, you're welcome to come with us on Friday. Uh, two more things I wanted to highlight, or actually one more thing I wanted to highlight for our uh, kids' ministry. 
Um, you see these balloons, these orange balloons that are up front and some gifts underneath. Uh, this is highlighting some new births at our church. Uh, these two packages and gifts are in honor of uh, the birth of Ezekiel Benjamin Hensley to Corey and Theo Hensley. And also the birth of Benjamin Michael to Christopher to Kathy and Joe to Christopher. So uh, congratulate them. You see them. I see one of our, our babies today in here. So. It's always good celebrating new birth and new things um, um, happening. So um, I also wanted to highlight our youth ministry. Youth is one of the positions I'm in, uh, in charge of or I help with here at church. Uh, a couple of things that our youth are doing. This last Wednesday, we had, uh, Tommy talked about last week, we had our senior night. Uh, we got to celebrate our seniors that are graduating and spend some time with them. Uh, we missed some of them. Some of them were already on vacation because Greenville High graduated and the county graduated two weeks ago. Um, but uh, we missed uh, two of them. Uh, and they had a good legitimate reason not to be there last Wednesday because two of our seniors were off winning state championships in uh, Nashville last week. So we do want to congratulate um, uh, Jordan Idell and uh, Bryant Renner, who won state in baseball and soccer last week for Greenville High School. So congratulations, guys. <laughs> Missed y'all last Wednesday, but I know it was, it was worth it uh, to be gone. So... Uh, starting this Wednesday, we are starting our youth summer uh, Wednesday nights. Uh, all throughout the school year on Wednesday nights, we have a, uh, a large group worship and our small group life groups for youth here in our student center. Uh, during the summer, we do something different. Uh, during the summer, instead of staying here at the building, we go to uh, our students' houses. And so we have brave parents that say, I will host your youth group, and we come and invade with an army of teenagers and uh, kind of take over their outside house. Uh, we still have worship during the summer. We still have a speaker and, and share a Bible story during the summer. But the best part about our summer ministry is that the whole entire Wednesday night is run by our students. Uh, we have some brave seniors and juniors and sophomores that step up and say, I want to lead in this. And so they plan the whole thing. They plan the worship and lead the worship. They plan the talks and, and do the talks. They plan what activities we're doing, uh, what houses we go to. So uh, if you... Uh, have a, uh, a youth, we'd love to invite you to come be a part of us this summer on Wednesday nights. It's from 6.30 to 8.30. Uh, we'll meet here at the church if you uh, need a ride or we'll just meet at the person's house. And uh, just let us know if you want to come. We'll let you know what house we're at each week. Uh, it's an exciting time. It's a fun time during the summer. It's just a great time to be able to hang out and um, let watch students become leaders in our group, not just participants in our, in our group. Uh, two other things I wanted to highlight for our student ministry is our summer camps. We have a uh, middle school summer camp. We also have a high school summer camp. Um, our middle school summer camp is called Mix, and the dates are right here. It is June the 25th to the 29th. It's not too late to sign up, middle schoolers. Uh, it is on the campus of Lee University, which is in Cleveland, Tennessee, just right outside Chattanooga. And uh, it is an awesome week of um, high-energy worship, games, uh, sermon time, um, um, small group time, just a real great time. In fact, in a little uh, during our offering, I'm going to show you a video of what happens at Mix, just so you can kind of see visually what goes on. Um, and uh, last Sunday, uh, we promoted um, our kids' ministry up. Since school is over, we promoted our kids' ministry up. And so what that means is our upcoming sixth graders, those fifth graders who have graduated and now going into sixth grade, they're welcome to be a part of our youth ministry. They're welcome to start coming on Wednesday nights. They're welcome to go to Mix uh, with us. And I would encourage you to do so. Go ahead and get started now before the school year starts and get a jump on everything. So Mix is for our middle schoolers, for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And then our summer camp for high schoolers is called Move. 
And it is going to be in Chicago, Illinois at Wheaton University. Um, we keep our middle schoolers in the state of Tennessee. We're taking our high schoolers all the way to Chicago. Um, but it's a mix and move. They're done by the same organization called CIY or Christ in Youth. And uh, we've been doing it for years as a great organization of challenging students, uh, uh, building fellowship between our students, uh, but also uh, helping them see what God has in store for them and encouraging them. So if you're a middle school or a high schooler, I would encourage you to be a part of that this summer. Come find me afterwards, and if you need any information, uh, we can let you know, or just give me a call this week um, at church, and I'd be willing, uh, happy to talk to you about mix and move. And then later on, you'll see a, um, a video of it. So a lot going on this summer, a lot of things happening. We'd love to have you get plugged in. A lot of times summer is a time where everything down and attendance is kind of down and stuff like that. We found the last couple of years here at, at First Christian that we've actually grown in the summer, which is awesome. Keep coming. Uh, don't find an excuse not to come and be a part of what God's doing here. So um, we, uh, if this is your first week here, or maybe you've missed the last couple of weeks, we're in a new sermon series called Burned. And uh, this has gotten some traction with a lot of people. What we're specifically talking about is this. Um, we realize the fact that a lot of people feel like they've been burned by the church or burned by church people. Some people that don't even attend church won't come because uh, they feel like they're going to be burned. Or some people that maybe grew up in church or went to church now doesn't go anymore because they feel like they've been burned by the church. Um, Tommy and Scott preached the last two weeks. They shared stories, uh, personal stories about how they've been burned by church. Um, I have grown up in church my, uh, my whole life and, uh, and I have a lot of, um, times I've been burned by the church too. Um, I'm not going to share a personal story. Uh, if you want to hear some personal stories, uh, go back and listen to Tommy and Scott's, uh, videos, uh, or audio. It's really good. Uh, our website, you can see the video of the last two sermons or go to any podcast and uh, search up FCC Greenville and you can listen to the audio version of the sermons also. Um, but here's what I wanted to say. Um, there is times that I've been burned by the church, but uh, as I look back at how I've grown up, I've been in church ever since I was born. Before I was born, I've always been involved in church my entire life. And as I look back as me as growing up in church, but also I've been a minister since I was 20 years old and looking back as me in ministry. I really do have to admit sometimes that I've probably been part of that burning. Uh, there's probably been times in my life where I've burned people, uh, that I've misrepresented Christ in their life, and, and I've caused church hurt. And, uh, and I know as a minister, some of y'all have ministers that have caused church hurt to you. So as a minister, I just want to start off by saying I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for the church hurt that I've caused. I'm sorry for church hurt that's been caused to you. Uh, one of the facts is, is that... Um, the church, we try to represent Christ, but we're not perfect. Uh, we make mistakes. Uh, we don't always um, do what, what we should do. Uh, I'm going to start out today talking about two cliches. And uh, these two cliches, hopefully we're going to unpack them. And hopefully by the end of the service, they won't be a cliche anymore. But one of those cliches is this, is that hurt people hurt people. Um, it's just a truth of life. I tell my kids this all the time. Uh, when they're bullied at school or where somebody hurts them at school, I'm just saying you, you just don't know what's going on in that other person's life. A lot of times when they're hurting you, it's because they're hurting themselves and they don't know how to deal with it. And so the only way they know how to deal with it is to take that hurt out on others. And so that is a, it is a fact of life is that hurt people hurt people. And, and it happens. Um, if you followed our social media accounts, you saw that the two things we're going to be talking about today, uh, talking about being burned by church, one is, um, is hypocrisy. 
The other is, is judging. Um, Barna Research did a survey talking about, you know, why do people not go to church? And this survey was just anybody. It could be a person that's never gone to church or it could be a person that used to go to church and doesn't go to church now. And they asked them, why don't you go to church? And the number one reason that was given was is that they're fu- the church is full of hypocrites. I don't go there because they're full of hypocrites. We're going to talk about this in our text today, um, about how we can get past this and how we can get, get through this. And, uh, and it's just a hard fact that um, church is supposed to be a place where we get healing. Church is supposed to be a place where we get forgiveness. Church is supposed to be a place where we get restored. But sometimes and a lot of times it, it's just a place where we get hurt more uh, because people um, that can't truly, fully be perfect and represent Christ, but should be representing Christ better than they are. And we're going to deal through some of those issues today about why that's happening, what, what we can do to be better um, in, these, uh, in these situations. Let's uh, go ahead and dive into the scripture. Um, let's go ahead and go to Romans 12, 2. We're going to read through the whole thing. Uh, we're going to be 1 through 16 today. We're going to read through the whole thing, and then um, we'll pray, and then we'll come back and unpack it. So Romans uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and uh, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to, one, to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but doers of the law who will be, who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray that you, uh, through your Bible, uh, through your word, that you speak to us this morning. Um, I believe that you have a message for each and every one of us here today, God. So speak to us and not just help us hear uh, what you have to say, God, but uh, give us the courage to act on what you want us to do today, God. To not just hear, but to do. Um, To not just know it, but to live it. Uh, That is our prayer this morning. And Jesus and I pray, amen. So, um, if the church, if people won't come to church because it's full of hypocrites. Uh, another reason people don't come to church is because they feel like they're being judged. 
uh, especially non-Christian people, if they've never grown up in church and their life is kind of messed up and, and, and everybody knows their life is messed up, a lot of times when they walk into the church building, even when it's not the case sometimes, a lot of times they feel like every eye is on them. Every person is judging them there. Every person seems like they have their whole life together and act together. And sometimes people feel out of place for coming here. So how do we get past that? How do we get past the place where people won't come because either we're being hypocrites or either we're being judgmental? For our Christians in here, for the people that go to church, for people in here that consider themselves Christ followers, uh, I would say this, is that church is for sinners. It's not for perfect people. It's for sinners. And so we need to stop looking at people and judging people that come in here that don't have their life together, that don't have it all figured out yet, that are imperfect people. We need to stop looking at them by judging. Instead, we need to look at, the way, look at them the way that Christ looked at them. And the way he looked at us was love. Because we are all sinners. We've all messed up. The Bible tells us that. Uh, even though some of us can kind of act like we have it all together, we don't have it all together. So that was the first thing I would say is that uh, we need to realize, and this is kind of a cliche I've heard too, but we need to realize this, is that a church is not a uh, cathedral for the saints. The church is a hospital for sinners. Uh, this, is the very, this is the very place that all of us need to be. So we need to stop kicking people out and pushing people away by the way that we look at them, by the way that we treat them. We need to invite them in so that they can, um, so they can find Christ here. Now, for you people that are uh, maybe not go to church that often, or maybe you feel like I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites, uh, it's kind of like saying this. It's kind of like saying that when you get sick and you know that you're sick and you know that the only way you can get better is to go to the hospital to see a doctor to be able to get well, but you say, I don't want to go to the hospital because the hospital's full of sick people. I don't want to be around all those sick people. It's kind of the same thing as saying that, is that I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Um, Church is the one place we need to be, all of us need to be. Um, so stop making excuses about why you don't go. Um, come to church, not because of the people, but come to church because of Jesus. Because that's the one that's going to ultimately heal us and restore us and bring us to a place that we need to be. Now, us as a church body, it doesn't put us off the hook of saying we can act how we want to because it's Jesus. No, we're, we're the representation of Christ here. And, and we're showing people what Christ is like because of how we act and what he's done in our own life. Um, so going to Romans chapter 2, um, before we can get to chapter 2, when we started chapter 2, it kind of it kind of looked like we were in the middle of something, and we actually are in the middle of something. Uh, when we get to Romans chapter 2, what Paul is referencing is all of Romans chapter 1. Um, now, the book of Romans, this was a book that Paul wrote to the uh, Christian church in Rome and also to the Jews that were living in Rome. Um, the whole book is laying out an argument of why we need Jesus, why everybody needs Jesus. And before you know that you have a need, you have to know why you have the need. And so the first couple of chapters of Romans, what Paul does is he lays out this pattern of showing us that we are sinners. In fact, uh, he starts out in, in the middle after he does his welcome and everything in chapter 1. He starts out saying in uh, chapter 1 that um, nobody has an excuse to not believe in Jesus. He says that God has revealed himself throughout creation, and he has given each person a conscience to know that there is something truth, there is some truth in this world, that nobody has an excuse. And then Paul goes and starts saying that, but everybody knows deep down that God is real, but instead of chasing after God, 
a lot of people have started chasing after themselves, their own pleasures, their own uh, fame, their own glory. And Paul lists out these whole list of sins saying this is what people are doing. This is what they're chasing instead of God. This is how they have sinned. And um, what the Jews were very good at at that point in the first century, in the first century, and what we're also very good about as a church is that the Jews read that passage and they started pointing fingers at other people saying, yeah, y'all are sinners. This is what you've been doing. You've been chasing after these things. The Jews thought just because they were God's chosen people that they got a free pass, that they thought that um, that they can point the finger at other people at the Gentiles who are not Jews. Uh, this is my second cliche, I guess my third now cliche I was going to use is this, is that when you start pointing the, when you point your finger at somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So when you're calling somebody else out, you're pointing yourself out too. Um, and, and this is what Paul is saying here in verses 12, one, we'll jump into this. He says this, therefore you have no excuse. O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. This is the hypocrite hypocrite part of this. Paul is saying that all of these sins that you call out, you're saying, man, you're awful because you do this. You're a sinner because you do this. He's saying you do those very same things. That's what a hypocrite is, is they're calling somebody else out for something that they're doing themselves. This is why people don't want to go to church. Because they see how you act. They know that, yes, you may fancy yourself up and wear nice clothes and come to church on Sunday morning and act all proper and and pretend like you have everything together and that you're perfect. But these people also live with you the rest of the week and they see how you behave the rest of the week. And so that is the, 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 the hypocrite part of this. In fact, it wasn't just Paul Jesus also calls out this, this hypocrite lifestyle. Uh, keep your, keep your, uh, put a note there, a finger there or something there. Keep your place in Romans chapter 12, uh, or Romans 2. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 7. I want you to see this really quick and it'll be on the screen too. Um, what Jesus has to say about this. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to go 1 through 5. This is a, 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 an often misquoted verse in the Bible. Uh, you've probably heard it said a lot of times. People say, judge not, lest ye be judged, or you be judged. Um, it doesn't say, lest you be judged. It says this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? There's Jesus calling us out. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, this is that hypocrite part. It is so, so easy to, to point out the flaws in everybody else's life. It's so hard to point the flaws out in your own life. Um, I've been, I've heard this said before too, that, um, that we, each one of us are really, really good liars. And the person that we lie to the best is ourselves. We're able to lie to ourselves a, a lot by saying that, oh, we're okay. Um, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm bad or I made mistakes, but I'm not as bad as that person over there. And all of a sudden we're trying to, we're trying to push it off on somebody else. And this is exactly what Paul talks about here. Let's jump back to Romans chapter two. 
In Romans chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Paul says this. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So Paul's talking about all of these sins in the first chapter. We know that God is just, that he is the only perfect person. We know that he's a God of justice. And we know that it rightly falls, his judgment rightly falls on those who do such things, all of these sins. But here's what Paul says also, verse 3 says, But do you suppose, O man, you who judge those, those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. He's like, why are you doing this? Why are you pointing out everybody else's sins? Is it because that you want to take the focus off yourself? You're, you're hoping that maybe if I point out how bad everybody else is, that God will excuse my behavior, that God will not look at me, that, that God plays that game of comparison, that, well, I know I'm bad, but I'm better than this person, so that means I'm pretty good or sort of good, but I'm not totally bad, like this person over here is bad. He's saying, like, is that is that what you're thinking? Like you can take the focus off yourself by putting it on some on other people, uh, pointing out their flaws instead of pointing out your own. Paul says this. He goes back in it in verse four. He said, "Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Are you trying to put the focus off yourself and on other people? And when the end comes, when judgment comes, are you hoping that you're just going to count on God's kindness in your life? That I'm going to live however I want to. And then at the end, maybe God will be kind to me. He's like, is that what you're counting on? And he says, it's kind of interesting what he says this. He said, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The reason that God is patient with us, the reason that God is kind with us, is he's trying to love us back to him. That's why he's kind and patient with us. Not because he's looking over our sin, not because he's excusing our sin, not because he's like, I'm, I'm a God of love and it's all okay. I'm trying to love you back to myself. And I think God's calling us the same thing for when we deal with people that um, have been burned by the church or who don't come to church anymore who feel judged by the church, we need to go out and love them, show them kindness, show them kindness to win them back instead of judging them and trying to push them even farther away. Uh, I used to think that, um, that I, I needed to obey God because I feared the consequences of not obeying God. Like I obey God out of fear uh, of who he was and some of that is okay. You know, he is God. We are not. There's, there's a, there is a healthy fear of God and awe and reverence of God. But I think what made the switch in my life and what made the switch a lot was that I figured out that I don't need to obey God because I'm fearing his wrath. But I want to obey God because God loves me. Because he has shown such great love and patience in my life. And it was the love of God that won me over that I'm not going to serve him out of obedience i'm going to serve him out of love i want to obey god because i want because in obeying god it's showing that I, I i love him that i'm honoring him that i'm respecting the place that he has in my life and that's how i think we need to do to other people love them to christ not judge them and fear them and bring them to christ look what he says here in verse 5 through 11 <clears throat> but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That 
what he's talking about your heart there. He's talking about people, this hard heart that these people that he referenced in verse one or or chapter one, where he says, you know what is right. Your conscience tells you what is right. But instead, you're just doing what you want to do. You're doing to serve yourself. You know that you, you need to be good and nice to people and and patient and love and kindness. But instead, you are hurtful and mean and chasing after your own. He says that you have this hard heart um, that needs to change. Verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. The Jews at this time thought that they were better than everybody else because they were God's chosen people. They thought that this made them have a higher standard. And they were very quick to point that out to the Gentiles that they were good and they were not. Sounds a whole lot like the church today. We're very quick to point out that we as a church, we're good and the rest of the world is not. And he's showing here that um, he's talking about that um, we need to be seeking truth in our life. Uh, that it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a Jew or a Greek. God doesn't show partiality. What God honors and what God's looking for is people that are following him with their whole heart. Not just following themselves and waiting until the end to figure it all out. But now, given their life and their trust to Christ and following him every single day. Trying to be a better person. Trying to be more like, more like Christ every single day. It's that heart that he's talking about here. He goes on and discusses it further in verses 12 through 16. It says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So it doesn't matter that you're God's chosen people, that you're the Israel nation, that you're a Jewish person. That's not what makes you right. Just just hearing the law and knowing the law doesn't make you right. He said what he's looking for is he's looking for doers of the law. And that doesn't mean if you're God's chosen people or if you're the Gentiles. What he's looking for is a heart change in people. A people that are wanting to follow after him. He goes on in verse 14, for when Gentiles... Uh, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. He's saying that even some of these non-church people are actually doing what God wants because they're following their conscience, the, the, the thoughts that God has put inside them, that they're actually trying to be nice people, um, trying to do good things. And he's saying that what's better is a person that goes to church and does evil things better or is a person that doesn't go to church and, and, are, and are trying to live the conscience that God has put into their life. We cannot just hear God's law. We must obey it. Uh, James talks about in the book of the Bible, James, he talks about that Our faith is what saves us. You know, when we believe in Jesus, when we confess that he is Lord, that faith in Jesus is what saves us. But James goes on to talk about, but can you just have faith without works? Can you can you just have faith and not actually show that that you're living for for Christ? And he says and he says in it is that if you say you have faith, but you're not living it. Do you really have faith? 
You know, he said, you know, faith is what saved us. It's not acts. But if you're not acting like you've been saved, you're not acting the way Christ, is that even showing faith in Christ? And so this is what he's trying to get us to see is that being a Christian is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just as long as I go to church and I give God my hour and I can live how I want to the rest of the week, we're good. It's not that. It's a heart thing. He, he wants your heart. And when you give Christ your heart, he's going to start changing your heart and you're going to start living for him. Not out of fear, but out of love. And so you're going to see those, uh, those acts of faith coming out of a pure heart. So uh, the question is this. And this is what a lot of non-Christians get back to, a lot of people in the church get back to, is that I don't want to go to church because I feel like everybody's judging me there. I feel like who are they to judge my life? Who are they to say I'm right or they're, they're right and I'm wrong? Um, how can we judge? And I would say before we answer this question of judgment, I want to go back to what Jesus said. Jesus said, he said, before you look at the speck, in your brother's eye, you need to first look at the plank in your own eye. Um, I think what Jesus is saying here is we need to know our own sins. We need to examine our own sins. There needs to be a time of self-examination. You need to first look at your life and see what you need to change in your life, seeing what sin is, is creeping in your own heart and before you can actually go out and look at other people and deal with other people's stuff that's going on in their life. This is that hypocritical part where they feel like, I've not done any kind of self-reflection. I'm still sinning, but I'm going to call you out for your sin, even though I'm still doing the same thing. Um, our chosen method of, uh, of self-reflection here, of spending time with God, of having your sins identified, of looking at your own life, our chosen method at First Christian is regeneration recovery. Um, you've been, uh, if you've been here for the last couple of months, you've probably heard a lot about regeneration recovery. You may be sick of hearing about regeneration recovery. But uh, regeneration recovery is a 12-step addiction uh, ministry that we uh, host down in the student center Monday nights at 6.30. And it is all about self-reflection. It is all about trying to find out the patterns in your life, the sin in your life that is holding you back from being what God wants you to be. Um, it's kind of interesting, uh, myself included, I, I've heard this, uh, as people have commenced through Regen, uh, a lot of people, uh, when they start their testimony, they say this, because we've had our ministers go through it, we've had our elders go through it, we've had church people go through it, and almost every single person said this, I didn't think I needed Regen. That's how the, it's usually how the testimony starts out. I didn't think I needed Regen. I've grown up in church my whole life, I'm a pretty good person, I, I felt like I was doing okay, I didn't feel like I needed it. But every single person at the end talks about, man, but I needed Regen. Uh, I really think Regen is going to be something God is using to transform our church. It's, it's something that God is using to transform the hearts of the people here in this church. What's interesting about being a Christian, um, I've been a Christian since I was 15. I'm 41 now. I've been a Christian for a long time. And what happens is sometimes you forget how you were before you became a Christian. When you become a Christian, God comes into your heart and he starts transforming you to become more like him. He starts giving you these, these, these things that, um, that you don't have without him. He starts giving you patience and joy and understanding and self-control and all these things we call the fruits of the Spirit to, to, to make you into a better person, to make you more like Christ. And the longer it seems like the longer you have that, the more you forget how you were before Christ. And when you start forgetting how you were before Christ, you start thinking, well, I'm a good person. I'm, I've done all of this. Instead of realizing that it's Christ that's worked through you, that's done it through you. Um, so 
what I think Regen is going to do, it's going to help us have self-reflection. Uh, Scott said in the sermon two weeks ago was this. I thought it was really good what he said. He said that the sin in our lives, there's either two ways. Either we don't know how to deal with the sin in our lives or we refuse to deal with the sin in our lives. Regen is what combats that. Regen is what helps us deal with that sin, to look at that sin. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's painful, but it's worth it. Uh, but when you come out on the other end, seeing what Christ has brought you through. Um, so I would encourage anybody, if you're not a part of Regen, come check it out. You don't have to commit to it. You can just come check it out. Come tomorrow night or come any Wednesday or sorry, any Monday, 630 downstairs. Come and just check it out because it is our, our time of self-reflection. It's a, it's a time where you can actually examine the plank in your own eye and see how much you need God and how much God wants you and how much God can do through you. So the second thing is this, is, and I'll end on this, is that, so how do we judge others? First, we take care of the plank in our own eye. But how do we deal with a speck in somebody else's eye? Um, I think Jesus said it best. Uh, we're going to close with two scriptures is this. John thirteen thirty four through 35. Uh, this is as Jesus was going to the garden to be betrayed by one of his friends. This is as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and die for our sins. He stops his disciples on the way to the garden and he said this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we are characterized by our love. So how do you love and also call out people on their sin? Because we're not supposed to ignore sin. We're not supposed to look over sin. How do you do it? Here's how you love. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is a love chapter. I want to read to the uh, 4 through 7 is this. Love is patient and kind. We need to be patient with people. We need to be kind with people. Love does not envy or boast. We don't, we don't need to be saying we're better than somebody else. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Uh, other versions, you may be more familiar than the ESV. Other versions say it keeps no record of wrongs. We need to stop throwing people's sin back in their face. They know that they're a sinner. Uh, we don't need to keep bringing it up, bringing it up, bringing it up. But it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endears all things. If we act like this with people, if we come to people with love and understanding and patience and, and kindness, when we point out sin in people's lives, they're not going to see it as me saying I'm better than you. That's why I'm calling out your sin. If we come from a period of humility, if we've dealt with the plank in our own eye and we come to people with this kind of kindness, when we call out their sin, when we talk about, hey, this is what's going wrong in your life. This is what I see going wrong in your life. You need Jesus. People are going to receive this by saying, wow, this person loves me. This person cares for me. This person wants what's best for me. This person is trying to help me in the, in the only way they know how, and that's by leading me to Jesus. So that's how the judgment comes. Not from a position of superiority saying, hey, I'm at church. I got my life figured out. I'm perfect. Come, you're, you're, um, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. We come from a place saying, I love you. I want the best for you. Jesus loves you. Come. Come, let's walk together through this road and let Jesus change your life as he's changed my life. That's what's going to radically change our church. That's what's going to radically change people coming to church. Where they, instead of feeling judged, they feel loved. They feel like people love them here. That people don't gloss over their sin, but care enough to talk about their sin in a caring and loving way. And that's where we get past the place of being hypocrites. 
where we come to them saying, I've messed up. And it's only because of Jesus is where I am right now. Um, And so those are two things we can combat being burned in our church. Let's pray. Father, I pray um, that you help us, God. Uh, There's so many times that we mess up. There's so many times that we get it wrong. Uh, So many times that envy comes in our hearts or conceit comes in our hearts. Um, We just confess today that we need you, God. Whether we be going to church our whole lives or maybe this is our first time here, we confess that we need you, God. So God, just help us. Speak to us today. How do you want us to go from this place changed and, and, and becoming more like your son? Conflict us, uh, convict us of our sin, God. Help us come to a place where we can see our need for you. And then help us as we take that to other people that need you too. Help us come from a place of love. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.